Amen. Thanks, Cody. Thank you. Good morning, church. I know you're hearing this if you're new today. Welcome. But truly, this is a kind and compassionate church. Isn't it? It is. Yes. Most of you are here because you love to gather. You want to connect with others, worship God, and hear God speak. And that being said, I realize that there are some of you here today who have gone through obstacles small and great to be here. So wherever you're at when you walked through those doors, welcome. Let's open our Bibles or grab a Bible in front of you in the pew. It's page 501 if you're in the Pew Bible. And we're going to look at Psalm 126. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The first thing we notice about this psalm is that people are singing about joyous deliverance. All of us understand that word, the action of being rescued or set free. But we'll see that deliverance and the return home for the people in this psalm was not all laughter and joy. During my chaplaincy residency at OHSU, I worked with Vietnam veterans on the psychiatric unit of the Portland VA, just a walk across the sky bridge from OHSU. For a year, I listened to these mostly male patients share their stories with me. Men who had been drafted against their wishes to fight a war that wasn't their own. When they returned home, home didn't feel like home. And they weren't the same men who returned home either. The task of rebuilding their lives was hard. Most of the men had PTSD, a little understood diagnosis at that time. According to the CDC, there were 1.7 suicides among Vietnam veterans for every one suicide among a non-Vietnam veteran for five years following the end of the war. 
They had been discharged to go home, but home wasn't the same place it used to be. This is the story of the people in this psalm. Let's look for a minute at the context and the background of this psalm. Most scholars agree that Psalm 126 was written upon the return of the Israelites from captivity in Babylon, possibly written by Ezra the prophet who was leading the nation at that time. It's the seventh of 15 psalms of ascent sung by the Israelites as they ascended, traveled up to Jerusalem as a people group to worship God at one of the three yearly festivals detailed in Deuteronomy 16. They are pilgrims making their way up to Jerusalem, the highest city geographically in Palestine, singing a song of past deliverance and future deliverance, of joy remembered and joy anticipated. They aren't singing in an annoying little ditty like one might sing on a family road trip. No. This is a song of depth and meaning, sung by pilgrims for the journey to worship God, a song that defined their lives, a song very much like ours. The grammatical structure of this song is composed of two equal halves united by the key phrase, restore our fortunes, that appears at the beginning of each half. And then there's this beautiful, tiny word, joy, three times in six verses. This is a song of past deliverance and future deliverance. And I titled this message, Song for the Journey, because although thousands of years divides us, I think we'll find that it's the very same song we are singing today. Let's look at the first half of this psalm. Verse 1, the psalm opens with a when that corresponds to an event that likely recalls the time Israel returned from a 70-year captivity in Babylon. Babylon being the agent of God's judgment upon Israel for generations of sinful idolatry and rebellion. It was a state located in ancient Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. It was a symbol of power, materialism, and cruelty. A place no Israelite would want to be for seven minutes, let alone for 70 years. And then suddenly, their lives changed. Verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The author paints a picture of delirious joy. After 70 long years of captivity in Babylon, two generations, Israel returned home. Can you imagine the day the decree went out? You can go home. Perhaps God used the longing for home and nights filled with dreams of home to bring about her repentance. 
Who knows? Maybe Israel first uttered Dorothy's famous line in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. Home is a place of universal longing. Verse 2 responds to the event of first one with three stanzas. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. There is a poetic play on words using mouth and tongue to express the deep level of unparalleled happiness of Israel. They must have pinched themselves to make sure it was really real. Have you ever been this happy to return home? Who doesn't love a great homecoming? Can any one of you watch video footage of men and women who served in the military returning home to families and pets without at least getting misty-eyed? There may be no greater joy than returning home. Or think of the world's refugees who would give anything to come home. The last stanza of verse 2, word spread of Israel's deliverance. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. This event was not local news. This was world news. The Gentiles who did not believe in God attributed this great deliverance to none other than the God of Israel. Its significance cannot be underestimated. Did you know that in the history of the world, no other people group has ever returned from exile like Israel? Turn with me to verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Israel reflects on the nation's response to their deliverance from exile. They conclude their remembrance by affirming what the nation said as if they hadn't quite realized the significance before, but are convinced of it now. That's sometimes how things work, doesn't it? When someone else puts words to an event, we see it more clearly ourselves. Hey, I hear that your cancer is gone. Yes, the scans are clear. Hey, I heard that you just celebrated a year of sobriety. Yes, as a matter of fact, it's been 365 days. There is power in declaring our deliverance out loud. The psalm begins by looking back at a significant event, Israel's deliverance from exile. Their deliverance changed the course of their lives. Most of us have verse 1 through 3 in our story, too. The testimony of our own deliverance 
from sin to salvation. Do you remember your story? Let me tell you mine. I was a sophomore at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. It was spiritual emphasis week, and I was headed to a convocation on Wednesday where a well-known Southern evangelist was the guest speaker. And I remember walking there thinking, I'm from Portland. We don't do altar calls. Now, I see Luis Plow out here in the audience, and he says, oh, yes, we do. And the evangelist declared from Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. And my heart swelled within me as I responded to the invitation to place my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I remember walking down to the altar, flat on my face, convicted of my sin for the first time. The realization of my sin was so overwhelming, I thought I would be crushed by it. And as I confessed my sin, the most amazing feeling of love washed over me. I was forgiven. Jesus' blood had washed me clean. And then you know what I felt after that? Delirious joy. Deliverance brings joy, doesn't it? And there is no greater deliverance than being delivered from our old self. I know you have your story. Story of what held you in bondage. Anything from addictive behaviors to self-centered pride, and then Jesus set you free. Oh, happy day. And you think it's going to be happy day in and day out. But it's not. And you know this. The song isn't finished, and our life isn't either. Let's look at the second half of the psalm. It's here that the song turns sideways. Like a joyful movie that slaps us back into reality with a scene of hardship and pain. A childhood memory of the classic Disney movie Bambi comes to mind. I'll never forget it. I was a kid on summer break, and my mom right here took my sister and my brother and I to go see a movie in the middle of the day. Ooh, a matinee. And you know the sweeping musical scores in a Disney film? The sun is shining, the clouds are fluffy, the sky is blue, the birds are singing, the birds are even talking. The bunnies are hopping through the forest. And look, there's Bambi and his mama nuzzling in the meadow. Until all of a sudden, boom! The hunter kills Bambi's mama. I was a kid. I didn't see this coming. <laughs> I sat in my seat, 
holding my box of popcorn and clutching my Coke with tears streaming down my cheeks. I was devastated. For days and weeks, all I could think of was Bambi's pain. Actually, truth be told, I will admit that scene sometimes pops into my mind and makes me sad still. All I could think of was Bambi's mama was never coming back again. So here we are in verse 4. Joy has given way to a scene of hardship and pain. We don't expect Israel to be here. Why are they talking about another deliverance, another restoration? Renew us like the desert, sowing and weeping, crying and caring? Why does it shift? But we know that even after deliverance, exceptional joy does not last forever. There are tears, such as life. Let's look at what's happened. Israel is home, but home doesn't look the same. Their home was decimated. The Babylonian armies laid siege to Jerusalem, killing and destroying the temple and leaving the city a desolate ruin. Can you imagine how overwhelmed you'd be? To be exiled for two generations and return to your home that is just flattened, rubble. They were faced with the monumental task of rebuilding the temple, reestablishing themselves as a people again in their home, and recovering a lost society. 1 Kings 9.10 states that the building of the first temple took 20 years under King Solomon. And he had near infinite resources at his disposal. And now the older generation who has returned to Jerusalem only recalls the former glory of Solomon's temple and weeps at the inferiority of the second temple. Israel is in the wilderness again. They were delivered, but not yet restored. Israel is still a desperate people. What would we do? I wonder if I'd go sit on a brick and maybe utter a line from Winnie the Pooh, the character Eeyore. Days, weeks, months, who knows? It's all for naught. Maybe some of you would stand against a pillar and watch the craftsmen rebuild the second temple and turn on Bruce Springsteen and sing Glory Days. How does Israel respond to their wilderness of discouragement? Look with me at verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, 
like streams in the Negev. In Israel's topography in the Negev, which is the southern region, there are dry and arid wadis. They are valleys, ravines, or channels that are dry as a bone except in the rainy season. In Israel, the summer drought gave way to welcome winter floods. Israel understood this familiar image of a sudden transformation in the desert. It's like someone commenting on our weather. It rains from February through June, and then the sun comes out in Portland in July. You're like, yes, I know. I live here. This phrase, restore our fortunes, is essential to understanding this psalm. It unites this song, and I want to unpack its importance. The two halves of the psalm both open with the phrase, restore our fortunes. This phrase is joined to a simile signaled by the word, like. The author is making a comparison. In the first half of the psalm, restored our fortunes is compared to a dream. In the second half of the psalm, restore our fortunes is compared to a stream in the desert. The author is making a point about God. Suddenly, God delivers. Let's look at it this way. Israel could have inserted a line in their song quoting Dr. Seuss. Don't don't be sad it's over. Be happy it happened. But no. Israel exchanges nostalgia for hope and grounds the prayer of verse 4, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev, to the memory of, of the singing, laughter-filled days of joyful deliverance of verse 1. Past deliverance motivates their prayers for future deliverance. God, you suddenly delivered us once, and you gave us shouts of joy. And we pray boldly that you will suddenly deliver us again and bring us shouts of joy. Both of these images that are used are of sudden, unearned, gracious gifts of deliverance by a faithful God. This verse causes or should cause us to pause. Have you experienced God's deliverance? The song finishes with the author's use of another familiar image in the life of Israel, farming. Look with me at verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Israel makes a declarative statement that reads like a proverb based on the prayer of verse 4. Israel 
hopes with expectancy that God will answer the prayer of verse 4 and that indeed the tears will be turned into shouts of joy. The final verse, 6, restates verse 5 and expands upon it. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Interestingly, the action of verse 5 and 6 are reversed. In verse 5, those who sow reap and then get joy. In verse 6, those who weep sow and then get joy. Sowing and planting and reaping and harvest. Just like the backdrop of winter and summer in verse 4, Verse 5 and 6 also allude to the seasons of change. The last, the last line of verse 6, bringing the sheaves, the harvested crop, appears to come only after a long period of hard work and waiting. Israel believes that God will answer the prayer for rain in verse 4 and bring the harvest of verse 6. But this prayer of faith is prayed in the desert. Have you been there? I was there three years ago Many of you know that I was pregnant with a baby girl who was diagnosed with trisomy 13, a fatal diagnosis. I carried her until one morning I woke up and I realized that her heart had stopped beating in the middle of the night. I went to the hospital to deliver my baby Chloe, stillborn. When she died, part of me died too. I marveled at the ways that God used a story of a baby who never took a breath to draw people to Jesus. And miraculously, God began breathing new life into me. And then three months after Chloe died, I fell in a freak accident and tore my ACL. Three weeks after I tore my ACL, I fell in a freak accident and broke my elbow. Split the radial head of my elbow in two. I plunged into the depths of despair. I didn't have any fight left. All I could do was cry. Actually, all I could do was weep. This is life 
in the desert. This is my story, and I know that you have your story too. Sometimes God takes us through tremendous pain. How did I ever find joy again? How did I find hope? Hope was rising within me as I held on to the truth that God's power is perfected in weakness. That one day I'd be reunited in heaven with Chloe again. Hope that no tears are wasted. And hope that there were a great cloud of witnesses who had gone before me enduring great suffering, who were cheering me on to move forward to persevere, to dig deep, and to be courageous. Israel's song is our song. What is God saying to us today? I believe that there are three takeaways. Point one, remember your deliverance with an emphasis on remember. Point two, pray for future deliverance with an emphasis on pray. Point three, trust God for shouts of joy with an emphasis on trust. What if we saw ourselves like Israel, as pilgrims trekking up to Jerusalem singing our song? Eugene Peterson puts it this way. So with every step, the pilgrims are climbing toward Jerusalem, not only singing songs, but embodying a long obedience in the same direction. Through winter and summer and all of life's seasons, God calls us to be faithful pilgrims, progressing and pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't this the mission of Cedar Mill? Becoming like Jesus in making him known? Israel isn't singing this song standing in place or in a church or in a temple or in a synagogue. They are praying on their journey, one foot in front of the other, in forward movement, trekking up to worship God. I wonder, do our memories of God's past deliverance move our prayers forward to ask God for future deliverance? William Faulkner comments, 
a monument says, at least I got this far. While a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. If you've been suddenly delivered and singing with joy, this is your song. If you are here and you're starting over again, this is your song. If you're in the desert, parched and thirsty for water, this is your song. If you're planting your tears and waiting for the harvest, this is your song. Even in the wilderness, in the desert, when we find ourselves at a standstill, God wants us to live radically changed lives. If you're in the desert, do you have hope? Think of all the men and women some 2,000 years ago who lost hope that Friday that Jesus died. But a lot can happen in three days. Some of them lost hope. But we, we are a people of the third day, and we know Sunday's a coming. God's ability to deliver us is beyond our comprehension. We anchor our hope to a God who redeems and restores and renews over and over again. He produces a harvest from one buried seed. Broken bones grow back. Life is resurrected from the tomb. Marriages are healed. Cancer goes into remission. Addiction is exchanged for sobriety, and bondage gives way to freedom. Why? Because of who God is. He is the great I am, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He is our Elroy, the God who sees. He is our Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is the Lion of Judah, and he is pursuing you. And he is protecting you. And he is working deliverance for you. So that your tears planted in faith will result in shouts of joy.
Life is a strange mix, isn't it? Joy and pain and tears along the way. We've all experienced deliverance, sudden and unexpected, an unearned, gracious gift from God. We've all come up against obstacles after deliverance. We sow, we reap, we have filled crops, we have harvest. There is winter, there is summer, this is life. I want to close with a quote from Eugene Peterson. But we always have joy regardless of what we face because the path of our pilgrimage is the way of Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. Before we come to the table today, I want to ask you something. Has God delivered you? Has God delivered you? If not, today, do you want God to deliver you? He will. He will deliver you suddenly from sin to salvation if you ask him. Do you hear God calling your name? Choose you this day whom you will serve. If the answer is yes to this call, I want you to pray with me in the quietness of your soul. Would everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the grave. Deliver me from my sin. I place my trust in you as my Savior and want to follow you as my Lord. With eyes continue to be closed, do you know why we say amen? Because it means so be it. If you pray to accept Jesus, would you, would you raise your hand this morning?
with eyes still closed. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another day. God is calling you. He is calling your name. The God who formed you in your mama's womb, who ordained you for a purpose under heaven, who knows every day of your existence when as yet there were none, who loves you more than you can even imagine. wants to respond to Jesus today, please raise your hand. today, go tell someone. Tell a pastor. Tell a member of the prayer team. Tell me. Tell someone. Because there is power in declaring our deliverance out loud. rejoicing today. Come to the table. Take the elements back to your seat and receive them when you're ready. And as you do, eat the bread and remember Jesus' body broken for you. And drink the cup and remember Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you. The tables are open. Feast in the joyous deliverance. God has worked for you. And go back to your seats, return to your seats with shouts of joy.